0: From the studios of One Jack's Productions, this is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. All right, welcome back once again to another episode of The Revealing. My name is Robert, and I am uh, grateful to be with you once again. Uh, we are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. Over the next couple of weeks, we are actually going to conclude it uh, this is this episode, Chapter 5, and of course, next week, uh, we'll conclude it with Chapter 6. Um, Pastor Frank and Chris are out of the studio, as a matter of fact, over the next couple weeks. Uh, so is it's just going to be us here. Um, by us, I mean uh, me and and you. So I hope you're okay with that. I, I definitely am. I'm grateful to have this conversation here with you. Uh, I do miss my, my friends and my brothers in Christ, uh, but looking forward to having them back soon. Uh, but as we get into uh, this study here... Um, Just want to remind you uh, that the way Ephesians is broken up is uh, Paul takes the first um, three chapters of the first half of the book there and and really uh, emphasizes the doctrinal um, principles and truths of God. And and then we see in the latter half of this book a very practical uh, application of them and approach. So uh, this conversation here and even next week Uh, will be a very practical conversation and very practical applications and understandings of these things. So, I do hope you're looking forward to that. Uh, But here in chapter 5, the first half of this chapter, verses 1 through 21 or so, the Apostle Paul exhorts the saints to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk circumspectly. The latter half, verses 22 through 33, deals with Christian marriage. So that's going to kind of be the breakdown uh, of this study, this conversation here. You know, the real Christian life is more than a profession. It is a practical walk. A walk implies some things. A walk implies life, because dead men can't walk. A, A walk implies liberty, because those that are bound can't walk. And a walk implies light. And we don't walk in darkness because we wouldn't know where we are going. So he opens up chapter 5 here, verses 1 and 2, he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and have given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You know, modern versions uh, change this word followers to imitators. And I don't know where you are on that, or what you think or believe about different versions. Uh, if anything, um, if you even think it's an issue or not, uh, but um, there's a difference in them, and and a lot of these modern versions will change that word "followers," as I said, to "imitators." And at first glance, we may think, well, that you know, that seems about the right, about the same thing and same idea. But you know, the greatest imitator of God is actually Satan. Second Thessalonians two four is very clear on that. But he certainly doesn't follow God. Satan has imitation Bibles. He has, believe it or not, imitation preachers. Uh, There are imitation Christians, even. You know, we need real Christianity, not an imitation. The children of Satan follow their father, Jesus said. John chapter 8, verse 44, he said, You are of your father the devil. As followers of God, we need to forgive and love as he does. And we can only do this by his spirit in us. Not by trying to imitate christ in our flesh asking what would jesus do while trying to imitate him in the flesh well that's that's ridiculous actually the flesh cannot be like christ we are not to selfishly absorb all of god's blessings like a sponge we're to be a channel that he can work through it is a great blessing to be forgiven of all our sin we are to forgive others even as god has forgiven us for christ's sake It is a great blessing to know the love of God, and we are to love others even as Christ has loved us. And I want you to notice that love is something we are to walk in, the Bible says. You know, many talk about love. Uh, Many think about love and hope for love and desire love, but not many walk in love. There's a vast difference between human love and God's love. And you know, we learn some things about real love in this context. We learn that it is sacrificial we learned that it is not based on performance of the object. It is not um, selfish. Uh, it, it speaks the truth. It does not withhold out of selfishness or fear. It does not withhold truth. Ephesians 4, verse 15 actually speaks on that. And, of course, it is righteous, and we'll see that here uh, in, this, in this passage, verses 3 through 21 specifically coming up. But, you know, the sacrifice of Christ is the only payment that God accepts for sin, right? I think is born-again believers, most of our listeners will, we would agree with that. Uh, the proof that he accepted the payment is the resurrection, of course. Uh, he will not accept your works, and the work of Christ was sacrificial, It spoke truth. It was righteous. It was not based on the performance uh, of us as people. Praise the Lord for that, man. Verses 3 through 6 here um, continue, when he says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks, For this ye know, that no whoremongers, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And so what God does here is he sets a high standard for his children. Let it not be once named among you. And we know that Paul is talking about the lost world that are still in their sins in verse 5, because he calls them children of disobedience. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, as a matter of fact. You know, we are not living in the time of God's wrath, but we must warn the loss of the wrath they will face if they die lost or if they are left behind after after the rapture of the church. And the words there in verses uh, 3 and 4, becometh and convenient, they have similar meanings, both refer to that which is fitting, uh, proper, suitable. In this passage, Paul mentions six things that are not fitting, not proper, not suitable for a Christian to partake in, and then he mentions something that is, giving thanks. You know, thanksgiving is an integral part of the Christian walk. Colossians 2 tells us that. Thankfulness is a mark of of true spirituality, in light of all that God has done for us, uh, reference Ephesians 1-3, through 3, in light of all that he has done for us, it is convenient for us, it becometh us, it is suitable to constantly give him thanks. And so, I think we could say it this way, an unthankful Christian is very inconvenient. In verse 4 here, we are told what kind of talk is not convenient for saints, Uh and then we, the kind that is convenient, the kind that does become us. The Christian walk is more than what we do and what we don't do. Upon salvation, God took us out of the old man, that is the flesh, and put us in the new man, of the body of Christ. Uh, we must practically put off the old man and put on the new. We talked a lot about that, Frank and Chris and I did in Ephesians chapter 4. This should also show up in our words. Corrupt communication comes from a corrupt heart. Jesting is also corrupt communication. It's not just humor. It has to do with telling stories for the purpose of diversion and merriment. And, you know, unfortunately, much of what is called preaching today is really not preaching. It's jesting. And, you know, bad doctrine is also corrupt communication. It's the opposite of edification. So if you really believe the sound doctrine of the word of God, consequently and naturally, you will talk about it. And then he goes on in verse 7, says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. You know, in salvation we are reconciled to God, and therefore he no longer sees us as children of disobedience, as we said earlier. As children of God, we are followers of God. But because we still have the flesh, it is possible to be partakers with this present evil world. We do this by having fellowship with the world instead of separating from it. If we don't stand against sin and separate from it, we are partakers with the world, y'all, even if we don't do everything they do. In other words, even though we are not of the world, we can be an accomplice with the world. And so I would ask you, does your walk condemn or condone the world? Sadly, lost sinners can point to many professing Christians and say, they're not much different than me. Of course, separation from the world doesn't mean we don't have compassion on the lost. The separated Christian is not to look down on the world with an holier-than-thou attitude. We are sinners saved by grace, sinners at one point saved by grace, yet now we are called saints, and we have a work to do, and we are, as I said a moment ago, separated, set apart. In other words, we are sanctified, and to walk in that sanctification. So, we we no longer have to be identified in Christ as sinners. And you know, true biblical separation is not isolation but contact without contamination, if I could say it that way. We, we must work to reach the world, but we will not reach the world by being like the world. A, a ship in the water is good, but water in a ship is a major problem. And a lack of true biblical separation hinders the cause of Christ. It greatly reduces the power and effectiveness of our testimony and our witness and then he goes on here in verses 8 through 10 he says for ye were sometimes darkness but now are ye light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the lord you know before salvation we were dead in sins and in spiritual darkness the bible says ephesians 4:18 when we believe the light of the gospel we become children of light in the Lord. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, right? And we are in him. That is the standing of every believer. However, we must learn to walk in the light. We are to put on the armor of light, uh, to shine as lights in this dark world. And those that walk in the light bear the fruit of the Spirit. And this ninefold fruit, which is a representation of the character of Christ, ultimately, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, Ephesians says here in chapter 5. What is your standard for what is acceptable? The sincere Christian that walks in the light seeks to prove with his life what is acceptable to the Lord. And then he goes on here in 11 through 14, and he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. I ask you, what fellowship does light have with darkness? I mean, think about that for a moment. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Absolutely none. The light of our righteous walk by Christ in us should reprove those around us that walk in darkness. Our presence should make them feel ashamed. That's why there's really should be a no place uh, today for seeker-sensitive church services, though we have those, No, worldly quote-unquote churches literally and spiritually dim the lights to make sinners feel comfortable. Usually people try to hide their sin, but there is no secret place with God. You know, we are living in an evil day in which sinners boldly proclaim and promote their sins. Lost sinners and carnal believers alike... They don't like the light of God's word because it manifests their dark heart and it reproves them. It makes them uncomfortable. They, they want to be comforted, not convicted. I think verse 14 is a verse that many believers today need to take heed to because they seem to be asleep to spiritual things. Again, verse 14 in Ephesians 5 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. We need to wake up and turn on the lights, y'all. You know, as, t- as to our standing, uh, we are spiritually awake, alive, in the light, okay? But as to our state, our condition, practically speaking, we may walk like we are spiritually asleep and dead and still in darkness. Sleeping Christians are lethargic, if not unconscious, to spiritual realities and responsibilities, Dead Christians are are those that walk after the flesh instead of the spirit. We must personally choose to wake up. Nobody can do that for you. In this age of grace, every member of the body of Christ is going up in the rapture to be glorified with Christ, whether they are asleep or watching. And friend, I urge you, don't be found asleep. Be found ready, waiting working and watching. The Apostle Paul goes on here in verses 15 through 17. He says, "See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be, wherefore, excuse me, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know, those that are wise know the will of God. And walk according to it. And a lot of times I think Christians, um, well-meaning Christians, wander around, wonder around, A w o n d e r also, um, not just wonder, but wonder, <laughs> wonder around, trying to just find the will of God for their lives. But we don't have to find the will of God because God has revealed it in His Word. And it's the same for all Christians, for all believers, now, the plan of God for your life may be different. Absolutely. But you know, it requires spiritual understanding to know it. Uh, the, the will of God, that is. Colossians 1.9 tells us that. And, and we're living in enemy territory, and therefore we must walk circumspectly, the Bible tells us. That word circumspectly means carefully, cautiously, looking all around. Yet many, many, seem to be careless and casual instead of cautious about their Christian walk. and You have the world, Satan, and our own flesh against us, and we would be fools to not take that seriously. Standards of biblical separation do not make us spiritual, but spiritual saints will have standards so that they will not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. To redeem the time In other words, uh, to buy it up, he says. Why? So not to waste it. We redeem the time by doing the will of God. It is one thing to know the will of God, but it is something else to actually do it. There is plenty to distract and to cause waste, wasted time, wasted resource in these evil days in which we are living. But we must determine with a purposed heart to invest our time in spiritual things that will count for eternity, like the Word of God, evangelism, discipleship. We know that it is the will of God for souls to be saved and to learn the truth, First Timothy 2.4. What kind of time are we, am I, are you, investing in the work of the ministry, in the work of the Lord? whether you are um, a, an official or paid or recognized um, employee or staff member or minister, we are all ministers in the body of Christ. We may not all occupy an, an official office or the same office I have pastor, deacon, etc. but we are ministers of reconciliation and taking the gospel of Christ to lost sinners and reconciling them to the Father through the word of God and the blood of Christ. And sadly, most are wasting time instead of redeeming it. And Then he goes on in verses 18-21, through 21, and he says this, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, in this one sentence, Paul describes true spirituality. We are not to be controlled by the flesh, but by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in every believer, yes, but we are only as filled with him as we are yielded to him. I hope you caught that. The Spirit of God indwells every believer, but not every believer is Spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit will only fill us to the point that we are yielded to Him. We are only as filled with Him as we are filled with the Word of God. Paul also exhorts us to be filled with, uh, quote, all the fullness of God. He also talks about that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, and, and also the fruits of righteousness. And I want you to notice that signs and wonders are not mentioned regarding the fullness of the Spirit. Under the kingdom program of Israel, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost came upon people and supernatural manifestations or signs were the evidence. And that's not so today. Spiritual saints don't speak with tongues. 1 Corinthians 13 is very clear that signs have ceased in this dispensation. But how are spiritual saints today to speak? We were just told here in Ephesians, with psalms, with hymns, and spiritual songs. And then verse 20 describes what true thanksgiving is. He references this again. We talked about it a few moments ago. True thanksgiving... When is it? It's always. For what? All things. To whom? Unto the Father. And how? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the flesh wants to do anything but to submit to others, as we're told in verse 21. Submission is an evidence of true spirituality. The fear of God is a moral principle that still applies in this age of grace. And then he goes on here as we conclude this chapter in verse twenty two, he says, Wives, submit your husband excuse me, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it You know, immediately after talking about being filled with the Spirit, the Apostle Paul exhorts us concerning marriage, Christian marriage, and the home. You know, this tells us several things. And we'll actually continue uh, the conversation about the home uh, in in our next episode next week. Uh, But he begins it here in chapter 5. And you know, this tells me several things. How he, immediately following the command to be filled with the Spirit talks about Christian marriage, and he talks about the home. It tells me we shouldn't expect our spouse to fill the void in our heart and in and, and our lives that only God can fill. Too many uh, enter marriage thinking it will bring the ultimate purpose and satisfaction. It is the most blessed of human relationships, but we were created first and foremost for God. It tells me that the test of true spirituality is how we behave every day in the home among those that know us best, not just a few hours at church each week. It tells me that our marriage and our family must be built on the foundation of our relationship with God. We cannot consistently live up to God's standard for the home without His Spirit. Think about that. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands in everything as unto the Lord. Husbands, we are to love our wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We are to nourish and cherish our wife as part, or excuse me, uh, as being part of our own body. And he commands us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And, and it begs the question how does Christ love the church? He loved us first. He loved us when we were his enemies. He loves us when and because we don't deserve it. And so I I think the practical applications here are many, uh, but as we conclude uh, this conversation and this chapter, just a few practical nuggets I'd like to leave with you. Marriage is a ministry. Each must submit to the needs of the other. Ephesians 5.21 tells us that. The wife has a need to be loved, a need to be protected, a need to be provided for. The husband has a need to be respected and followed. This is God's design, and the two become one. And marriage is a divine and a sacred institution, and listen, no one can improve on the plan of the ultimate designer. Uh, Also, another practical application I think we can take from this is we must focus on our responsibilities, not our rights. Paul didn't say, husbands, you have a right for your wife to be submitted to you and you make sure she does that. No. Wives have a responsibility. Husbands have a responsibility. Let's focus on that. Paul addresses, furthermore, the ones under authority first. Do you notice that? Wives, children, servants, and we'll talk more about those others um, next week, but he addresses the ones under authority first, knowing it is a great temptation of the flesh to resist authority. And husbands, I would say to you, knowing that you hold that place of authority you too, we too, have an ultimate authority, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not forget that. You know, this tells me, practically speaking, marriage must not be a performance-based relationship. Love gives without expecting. And, and listen, knowing this passage will not give us a great marriage. Obeying this passage will give us a great marriage, and a marriage that ultimately brings glory to God. And it's truly a picture of the love relationship between Christ and his church. Friends, I want to thank you for spending some time with me today here at the Revealing, as we talked about Ephesians chapter 5, I pray it's a blessing to you. Uh, We are currently uh, at our church here in Jacksonville, Florida, One Baptist Church. We are currently going through a study on this book. Uh, Just recently started it. We're still in chapter 1. And so we here at the Revealing wanted to to bring some of these things to you and kind of just do a a bird's-eye view, a, a survey, if you will, of the book of Ephesians. And, and if you find this helpful and you want to learn more, I encourage you to um, log on to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, where you can find those messages. Uh, we live stream our services every Sunday morning and Thursday night. Um, our Facebook page, uh, YouTube channel, One Baptist Church. i just trying to get those resources available to you Uh, So so please um, make that a point if you're at all interested and want to hear more. Um, But once again, I do thank you for for joining me today, and uh, God bless you, and I hope you uh, do take care, be safe, and I look forward to spending time with you next week. Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Salvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info, at onebaptistjacks.world.